Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and we're joined for our first segment today by my friend. Can I say that on the air live? Uh, we have Emily Toffelmeyer uh, coming to us from Southeast Texas today. Hey, Emily, how's it going? Hello, Ian, my friend. I'm good. How are you? Okay, good. We're on the same page yeah, there. You're then. good. You're good. Um, Emily is a former admission officer at the University of Southern California um, and uh, is here today to talk to us a little bit about film programs. Um, now, before we dive into that segment, I wanted to introduce Emily because we're going to be putting up this video on our Facebook page and I don't want her to have to sit there awkwardly for 45 seconds, a minute, two minutes without me welcoming her to the show. Uh, but we're also going to spend some time today talking about the activities list for the common application in our second segment. Uh, it's a great time to get started thinking about that. Um, and we will discuss how you can start thinking about your scholarship searches at this point in time. So those are the last two segments of the day. Uh, find them, find the videos on Facebook if you're on our social media, or you can, of course, just listen all the way through to the end of the podcast like you do every single week. Uh, so, okay, let's talk to you, Emily. You're now on in the hot seat. We're talking a little bit about film programs, um, and we've got a great article coming out on the blog sometime in the next week or two about some of the components of applying for a film program. And you can find that information at blog.getintocollege.com. Um, but let's just in general talk about when a student expresses an interest in film, what does that mean to them? What does that mean to us? And how do we think about that in the context of actually applying for college? Sure. I think something that a lot of students I talk to who want to apply for film production programs, like actually, let me back up and explain film production is usually mm -hmm. a major where it's pretty hands-on. And you're learning about directing, screenwriting, producing, cinematography. And when you're applying for these programs that are hands-on, there's usually an expectation that you're turning in a portfolio of work in order to be admitted to the school. And so I think what a lot of students who are interested in film, they don't seem to be aware of this until they actually start looking at film major requirements, which is usually maybe now, maybe like summer before senior year. Mm -hmm. And they look at the list of requirements and it can be pretty lengthy and sort of a body of work that you've been putting together for a couple of years. So if there's any advice to give to the younger students, it's don't wait until the summer before senior year to compile a portfolio. You should already be building your skills and your portfolio long before it's time to apply for college. So I think if you are a younger student, you're a freshman, you're a sophomore, you think you're interested in film. You don't know if that's what you want to major in or not. As you're beginning to explore some of this area, maybe you shoot some short films with your friends on your phone camera, um, save that stuff, right? Compile your work. I remember in talking to um, a director of a visual arts program, she was saying that one of the advantages or one of the things that students should really do is to be prolific, do as much artwork as possible. Because when you're drawing from a portfolio, you don't want to think, okay, I need 15 pieces. I'm going to create 15 pieces this summer. You want to say, I have 50 pieces. What are the best 15 things that I can pull from that? 
Now, of course, with film, there will be fewer pieces in total, and students will have to pull a, a little bit more specifically from that uh, library of artwork or film work. Um, but you want to work on this content. You want to create stuff. Um, but I think there's also elements of the film portfolio that are somewhat unexpected, although you think that they're the least surprising thing in the world. Um, shout out to the blog again. Um, what, what are the other components that people have to be thinking about if they're going to be applying for a film program? Sure. Well, there's the visual pieces that you talked about. And yeah, 15, I don't want to give anybody out there a heart attack. That's pretty unusual. That's um, for visual art. Visual, for visual art. Art. Yeah. Now, there are some, if you look at film programs at art schools, like the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn or CalArts in California, you will notice those schools do seem to expect you to already have a pretty large body of work, not just in video, but maybe in you know, painting, ceramics, set design, like whatever your art is. There are usually more components involved for an art school film program. Um, but outside of the visual example, writing is a key piece. And I think that's the part you were referring to with the blog is that's another thing that a lot of high school students don't seem to realize is that writing is a huge part of any film program. You can't really make a movie without a script for the most part. Um, and so usually there's going to be at least one to maybe three or four pieces of writing that are in the portfolio. And these are in addition to anything else you might be writing for the general common or coalition application. So there's usually something that's kind of like an artistic statement, creative statement about like your vision as a filmmaker and some of the things that have influenced you. But then there's also just other writing exercises, like a sample from a script, um, a description of an idea or story that you have. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there's just sort of odd things like NYU likes to ask you about sort of a variation on what used to be called like desert island discs. But like what would, what are some of the non-essential items you would bring to a desert island, including films and books and things like that. So gotcha. all kinds of writing. So that's another thing. If you're doing your applications this summer, if you're at Rising Junior and you have portfolios, you need time not only to polish your visual craft, but also your writing. And I've, I've you know, I've worked with a few students who've been interested in film in the past, and, and you'll find that there are some very specific creative projects that might be required by this school or that school. But in general, a film portfolio is going to have some really consistent pieces across multiple different institutions that offer that film degree. Do you have any recommendations for some schools? Like, let's say I'm a junior right now. I'm really interested in film. I think I might apply for some film programs. I don't quite know which schools I'm going to be looking at just yet, but I want to get a sense for what the expectations are in order to send in the application in the fall. What are a handful of places where I can go and look at what their film requirements are going to be so that I can ensure that I've got the right ideas about what I need to create in the coming summer and fall? I would probably look at the most selective film colleges in the country, which you can do all kinds of searches to figure out what schools those are. But sure. off the top of my head, obviously, USC, um, where I worked, NYU, Tisch School, um, Syracuse, Chapman. Mm -hmm. I think those will give you the idea of what is a university film program looking for, right? Because these are general universities that host film programs. But I think you should also take a look at places like um, RISD, Rhode Island School for Design, SCAD in Savannah, um, CalArts, Pratt Institute. These are all art schools that host film programs, and there are going to be subtle differences between what they ask for. So I think if you visit those schools, you'll get a good idea. Um, and while you're there, I also encourage you to take advantage of any kind of info session or chat option yeah. that the film school admission people might be offering. So not your general admission, but often there's kind of a specialized session you can sign up for for a film program. 
they love to give tips and be really transparent about what should be in your portfolio because they don't want to look through a hundred bad portfolios. Like they want to look through a good portfolio. So they want to give you advice yeah. in advance. That's right. And I think that they don't expect you to have a fully developed you know, body of work that is excellent across the board. That's part of what you're going to be developing when you come into college. They're looking for opportunities to see your potential and to see what sort of insight you can bring to the medium. And so I think getting their perspective on that front, don't worry about having to run out and buy expensive equipment and create a full feature length film. That's not the goal here. But I think they, they do want to see what are your, what's your perspective that you're bringing to our program and how are you going to enhance the quality of that program, both as a collaborator with our other students and also as someone who's producing content coming out of this space. Um, now, just in terms of those two groups of schools, you've got the universities, you've got the arts schools. Um, how do they think about the question of who gets in? And are there differences between how those different institutions or types of institutions are going to evaluate students for their film programs? I would assume there are differences, um, but what I remember always being told by the film school admissions folks at USC was, like you said, it's definitely not about technical expertise. But yeah, there should be a baseline. You should know some basics of filming and editing and some of the terminology. And most students who get into these programs, they have taken advantage of maybe like a video production course at their high school. Yeah. And if that's not available, they've just taken advantage of the internet and all the resources that are there to teach right. themselves. Um, but what I would hear from the admission people at USC was it wasn't that technical expertise. It was just the unique perspective is what I gathered from reading at least the, the basic supplemental for USC, like why this major, so many kids would write about film and it would just seem like every single one I read for the most part, it was like another boy talking about Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. And, you know, I didn't make any judgment on that. I wasn't admitting people directly to the film school, but I thought, oh, I bet they see a lot of this. I bet they're looking for people who have kind of expanded their film horizons, maybe beyond the mainstream and the big names. Um, And then some of it is stuff that you as an applicant have no control over. Like if they have noticed that they have a need for a certain background, whether ethnic, socioeconomic, geographic, genre interest, special talents, like they need to think about those things when they're admitting people. I think that's right. And it's a, there's a great parallel to lots of other fields as well. I mean, if you express an interest in biology because you want to be a doctor to help people, that's uh, something that you see all the time among students who want to be biology majors or students who want to go into computer engineering because they want to work at a tech firm in Silicon Valley, right? We encourage students to explore a little bit more of the subtle distinctions between what their interests are. And of course, to read and do research to inform that perspective so that you can go beyond Spielberg and Lucas, they might've been the reason that you initially got interested in film, but you might develop a much more specific kind of expression that that gets to be a little bit more your own. And I think that that's exciting. Um, Now, I worked with a student a couple of years ago in applying for the Chapman Film Program, and we worked on the personal essay for the Common App. Uh, We worked on the Chapman supplements, so why you want to come to Chapman. And then, of course, there was the additional portfolio for the film program where we had to jump into a new personal statement. And I remember him telling me, wait, didn't I already write my personal statements? What is this? How is this different? Can I reuse the same thing? And the personal statement in the context of a film program is quite a different project than what we talk about when we're talking about the personal essay for the Common App. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that personal statement ought to look like? Yeah, I think specifically about um, an applicant I worked with a few years ago, and I do think she was able to have a personal statement for the Common App. It was very much a different story. But I do think if, if you're a film applicant, you need to think about this from day one of the writing process. Sure, As yeah. you're writing your Common App essay, think ahead. Oh, I'm going to need to write a creative personal statement 
for my film program. So I want to be sure I'm not repeating myself. Um, So for this student, her film personal statement, it was about how she developed a love for film, but it was pulling on personal family history about um, family gatherings and with cousins and siblings of how they would experiment with like an old video camera and make little videos whenever they would have these get togethers. And then how that sort of blossomed into something deeper as she got older. Mm-hmm. So that was still a personal story we learned about her, but it was about her growth in film and that discovery of film and then how she developed it later by becoming a working actor. So you were able to get a lot of new information from that statement. <clears throat> but I do think you should look closely at the description for each school and what they want to see because USC says really specifically bluntly, they don't want you talking about your inspirations and like directors you look up to or films that you like. And there's other schools that explicitly say, tell us about some of your inspirations and favorite films. Yeah. And I, I think that that points to this idea that with a personal essay for a common app, it's it's very open-ended. It's got to be about you. It's about a personal experience that you've had. You're teaching the reader something about who you are. But really, I mean, we've talked about this on the show many times. How important is the prompt? How important is the question you're responding to? Not so much as the actual content of the writing. But with the film personal statements, you really do want to look at the prompt. You want to pick apart the specific kinds of things they're asking you to pull from, uh, because that's a, that's a key part of what a film program is going to look for. And that is being done separately from the academic review that looks at all the other traditional components of the application. So they really want to see it from more of a film lens uh, rather than the other space. Sorry. Sorry about that point. Um, there will also often be some sort of a creative piece. Uh, my student for Chapman was interested in the, the screenwriting program. And so he had to basically pitch um, an arc for a show. Like who would the characters be? What does the plot look like? What, what's interesting about this? And it was a really interesting piece of creative writing um, that showed, I think, his imagination. Um, how should students engage with that kind of piece of, of the project? And what can they do to get ready for a, an assignment like that? Again, I would really pay attention to the directions they're giving you. Talk to the people who work there to see what their preference might be. Um, because I, I feel like sometimes one of your options will be to include a, an excerpt of a script or just to a standalone like five-page script. Mm-hmm. And I think for students who are already really great at dialogue, that's a wonderful opportunity. If that's not really your specialty yet, if you don't really have that skill, you probably want to go for the option that's more something like um, like a, a short film or is like a pitch for a story. Yeah. So, and there's different components too, right? There's maybe something that you write that is a script or a pitch or a summary, but then you also usually are going to submit at least one video as well. And that can be anywhere from like two minutes to five minutes, which I think is a challenge. Like how do you tell a great story in two to five minutes? Um, how to prepare for that, I don't exactly know, but I do think the students who do best at this, they're the ones who, like you've said, they've been goofing around with friends and collaborating and making videos since they were probably in ninth grade or had their first smartphone. Right, right. And, you know, storyboarding, planning from the beginning, think about what the arc's going to be going through some direction. It's probably not something that you're going to do in one afternoon where you get together and make a film from start to finish. You have to consider all of the different pieces. Um, but I think that's exciting, right? Like the, the fundamental idea here is that if you're applying for one of these programs, these pieces, while challenging, are things that you're going to enjoy putting together because that's fundamentally the work of a filmmaker. Um, and so if you're feeling like, I don't want to do all that, I don't know if I'm going to have a portfolio. Well, maybe you don't want to do, maybe you don't want to do film. So, so think, you know, really hard about what the, the project looks like and how that fits with, with your t- interest in spending your time and, and how you want to engage creatively. 
Um, do you have any other, any, any other thoughts that you wanted to share? Well, you bring up a good point. If you are interested in film but don't have the body of work, there are programs out there that don't require you to share a portfolio or the mm-hmm. portfolio is just optional. And some great schools like uh, Boston University, American, DePaul, Ithaca, these all have hands-on film production programs, but you don't actually have to submit a portfolio. So for those of you who don't quite have the work ready to go, just know they're out there. Yeah, or just waiting for time to flex into that space, uh, maybe wanting to develop a little bit more fully, or, or you're later on the scene in terms of determining that this is something you're interested in academically. And I think that that's perfectly acceptable too. The one refrain that I heard from you repeatedly, I think throughout this segment, Emily, was ask for help, reach out to these admission offices, um, see if you can get some ideas about how to create this portfolio. And I think that there is a tendency among students to want to not ask for help in this context to say like, there's something wrong if I'm asking an admission officer how to apply to that particular college, but we would always recommend that that's a great idea. Um, as long as your questions are, you know, well thought out and, 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 uh, you're not wasting someone's time, but yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, Emily, thanks a lot for coming on the show. The film portion of this segment will be on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash college coach, BH, BH college coach. I'm going to confirm that and come back in a little bit. Um, Emily, this has been awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks again. Bye. Uh, Folks, when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, my colleague, Joy Biscornet, about the activities list on the Common App, so you won't want to go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, this week, and we are starting to really get into it with juniors who are applying to college in the coming fall. And what that means for juniors is that the filling out of the application was just over the horizon. Now, as that's starting to happen, one of the core components is how students represent their extracurricular involvement 
through the materials provided by the various application platforms out there. And joining me to talk about what we call the activities list is my colleague, Joy Biscornet. Hey, Joy, how's it going? Hi, Ian. I'm doing well. Happy to be here to talk about the activity section. With activity you section, which I think yeah. is like, I think is probably the most underrated, important part of the application for my money. Like I think students sort of see it as something that like, okay, I just got to fill out what I've done outside of the classroom. But like colleges, I think really, really focus on this area. There's a lot of potential to tell a story about what you've been doing outside of the classroom here. Definitely. I I totally agree with you. And when speaking with students, we're talking about filling out applications. What I say to them is the two pieces of the application that will likely take you the, the most time are drafting the college essay, because that's not a one and done, but that's a completely separate conversation to have. That's right. And the activity section, because I think, like you said, students think, oh, I just have to write down what I have to do. And I can, I can if I'm doing the Common App, I only have room for 10. Um, so that'll be easy. When, in fact, students can get really tripped up in how to organize their activities, how much time they've actually spent, how to highlight the their impact with those activities, because that section really needs is asking for students to be very clear and succinct in mm-hmm. the description of how they spend their time outside of the classroom. That's right. And the description, actually, the space allowed, I used to say it's a little bit more space than a tweet. But ever since Twitter expanded to 280 characters, you have less space now than a That's tweet. That's what I say. To like, be able to describe. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's pretty challenging. Now we're going to try something really different here on the show. It's not like revolutionary, but we're going to do a screen share. Um, and I actually right. want to see if we can pull up uh, a version of the common application. Now, every application platform is going to have a different version of how they ask for activities. And I'm hoping that this is something that's going to work on our Facebook page when we post this video and everybody can see what we're looking at here. I know, Joy, you can see what I am what I pulled up here, right? I can. Yeah. Awesome. And so, folks, if you're listening on uh, the radio show, you can create your own account for the Common App at commonapp.org and follow along with us, or you can go and find the video and you can see what we're looking at here today. Um, and so, just a couple of things that I want to just point out really quickly. Um, we're in the Common App tab here, and over on the left-hand side, we've got information about profile, family, education, and testing. Those are all data entry. There is not anything there that requires intellectual thought. There aren't any free response questions of any kind. There are open and shut. Where do you go to high school? Who's your counselor? What are your parents' names? And so, Joy, I think sometimes when people come to the activity section, they see this. They just assume that it's more data entry. Right. But it really isn't. So I'm going to open this up and maybe you can tell some of our listeners what we are seeing here and just what, how to engage with this platform. Sure. So the activity section is where students can really start to put themselves into the application. So it's not just that, what's your name? What's your birth date? What's your address? This is a way for them to really start. This is the time where they can start to reflect on how they've spent their time with extracurricular activities. And I think of extracurricular activities as anything that a student is involved with 
outside of class. So yeah. it doesn't just have to be related to school. It could be um, it could be school clubs. It could be really being uh, really involved with your um, co- your larger community. Uh, maybe you're very involved at your church or your synagogue or your mosque. Uh, maybe you babysit. Maybe you have a part-time job. Um, all of these things in the eyes of the admission committees are considered extracurricular activities. That's right. And because this is the Common App, you'll see there's also a catch-all here that says, among all those other established things, there's also other experiences that have been meaningful to you. Uh, and so that the key phrase there is meaningful to you. But if there's something that you're doing that has um, that has been organized to some extent that you've worked through. Like, let's say you decided that you were going to read Robert Caro's biography on Lyndon Johnson as a form of independent study. You can put that in your activities list. And it's a great way to account for that project, which is no small feat, right? So like, those are some interesting things that I think students might think about. Now, Joy, I'm going to scroll on down here so that everybody can see what an activity entry looks like. And I think here's where people get a little bit surprised is that it does look like a data entry form. You've got four boxes here. One is a drop-down list. The other three are free response boxes. And then we've got, you can check off when you've actually participated in these things, how many hours you spend per week, how many weeks per year. The question I want to ask you is, given that we've got just these free response boxes here, how should students go about preparing to enter the information in? Is this like I log into the Common App and I go and type in all my activity stuff? Should they do it elsewhere? How do they engage with the actual process of drafting their activities list? Much like the essay where I would never suggest to a student, oh, just go into the text box of the application and start drafting your co- your college essay. Right. I never suggest, oh, just go into the activity section and, and jot something down. It's really quick. It's only 150 characters. Um, I suggest using a spreadsheet to start. Um, Now, some students might prefer a Word document. Um, Some students might just like to jot things down uh, with pen and paper. Whatever it is, don't start with the Common App. This is, or any application, this should be where you put your final entry. Once you've wordsmithed um, your, your entries, once you know that you have the right character count. So that's why I like a spreadsheet because then you can just cut and paste right into um, each section um, of these free response. That's right. And what I've done here is sort of I execute what I think a student might do if they were just thinking about this as entering data entry. You might say, okay, what's the position in the leadership description? Hamilton Peer Tutoring, I'm on the board of officers. I put that there. Then I'm asked the organization name. Well, it's Peer Tutoring at Hamilton. So I put that in. And you can already see there's some redundancy that's happening there because I'm answering each question at face value. And then finally, it says, please describe this activity, including what you've accomplished and any recognition you've received, et cetera. And I've written, I tutor my peers and serve on the board of officers. Now, if I take each of those questions on their own and give a response, these are fair responses to these questions, but I have been super redundant by saying the same thing three times over rather than thinking about each of these boxes as being able to contribute to a larger piece of the pie of what I've done as a part of this program. Who have I tutored? In what subjects? What does a board of officers actually do? What's our governing responsibility in that context, right? So there's a lot of really interesting stuff you can get to in this space, but it's so hard to do it when you're actually working within the context of the application. Yeah. And 
just the way that you answering these these three or putting in information in these three boxes at face value if I were an admission counselor, I would look at this and, and already I have questions saying, hmm. well, how do you become, how, how do you have a, a seat on the board of officers? Was right. it an elected position? Um, was it appointed? Um, you know, it is, is, I'm even wondering Hamilton peer tutoring, um, is your high school named Hamilton? Um, is this an outside organization? Um, and, you know, in that description, I'd like to, I'm questioning how many students do you tutor? Is it in a particular subject area or is it kind of, you're a jack of all trades and if you're tutoring someone who needs help with English or, and the next time you might be tutoring someone who needs help with biology, um, how old are these students? Because if you're tutoring middle school students, the subjects are going to be very different from if you were, and your approach might be very different than if you were tutoring a, a high school student. Even though it says peer tutoring, that could still be kind of an umbrella for which you do different types of tutoring as part of Hamilton peer tutoring. That's right. And so there's so much that you can provide here. And I think that you want this is why you want to draft in another space, because if I get to the end of my 150 character count and keep typing because there's more I want to say about Hamilton, I'm, I can't go past this point. So there's no opportunity for me to see what's the full story that I would like to tell. And then how do I actually trim this down to be as efficient as, as I possibly can be in this context? Um, I think another thing, Joy, what's your thought on basic reporting of fact versus a little bit of an opportunity to be creative in this context and ways for students to show some personality where it may be appropriate for them to do so. How should students think about that? I think adding a little bit of personality or voice um, when appropriate is, is a great addition because, again, it can give the, the reader of your application a bit more of a sense of who you are and what's important to you. So just like this, if you are in this description, if you um, are talking about your basketball team and you have given all the information that really gives a sense of your impact on that team. So you've noted that you've won awards for being the best post player or league MVP nine times in four years, um, which you said, which is amazing. Which is amazing. Blocked, yeah, which, um, which you blocked over 2000 shots. Go Raptors. Like that gives a sense of you are a high school student. You do have, you know, there is excitement to your participation. Mm -hmm. um, conversely, if you just said in that box, go Raptors, I'd say, well, that's a missed opportunity. What does that mean? You know, yeah. how have you contributed? Were you the mascot and like that's that was your battle cry? Or, you know, were you just not really putting in a full effort. That's right. I, I love that idea of like, you, you've got you've to give some more flex here. And I, I think the space where there's an opportunity can be in descriptions like basketball. And for those of you who are listening on the podcast, I'm playing around here with some of the entries and that's why Joey and I are laughing a little bit. But um, with basketball, I mean, if I just say I'm a point guard for the varsity basketball team, that could be all that there is because people generally know what basketball is. They know what point guard means. But if there is some color that you can add, 
even if it's not focused on particular achievements on the court, if it's focused on your enjoyment of the sport, take that opportunity. If you're a creative writer and you want to bring a little bit of creativity to this entry, go for it. But you also want to be sure that your personality is coming through, right? So if you're not somebody that has a sense of humor, trying to be funny in this context may not work so well for you and might not fit with the rest of the, the application. So be authentic, but also you know, see what you can do in some of these spaces. And something that I do just want to remind um, students and, and parents, if you are reviewing the application, in that uh, description section, for common uh, abbreviations or acronyms for clubs, NHS, DECA, HOSA, you don't have to take up that character count to tell the reader what DECA is or what right. HOSA is. These are nationally recognized organizations that um, admission officers are going to know that if you write NHS, that's National Honor Society. So don't use, be very um uh, be very critical of how you use your character count um, and edit, edit, edit until you can get it exactly to say, yeah, this is this this highlights my impact. They'll know what I did for this organization. That's a great point is that, you know, you, you don't have to describe those things that we all know. You don't have to tell us what the selection criteria is for NHS because that's pretty universal. Um, there's a lot of stuff that admission officers see all the time. And so you don't have to give us context for that. But there might be some abbreviations we're unfamiliar with. Uh, there might be something that we don't know. We actually had a really great exchange on our internal chat last week talking about how a student could tell the story of the position that they rode in crew and what that means and how to assign that. And there was a great exchange of what's the most efficient way to tell this story. And that question of efficiency, I think, is a really interesting one, Joy. I think students have a tendency to believe, well, this has to be a complete sentence. I've got to you know, have my grammar all figured out. Everything has to be perfect with conventions. How do you feel about abbreviations, uh, incomplete sentences, use of things like semicolon? Like, how do students actually think about filling out that box? Should it read like a paragraph or like a short set of sentences, or can they be a little bit more flexible? I, I appreciate when giving students some leeway and being more flexible. I almost see it as um, a resume, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with a traditional uh, resume, uh, you'll have your the, the company or the organization, your position, and then your accomplishments. And those, uh, a strong resume has action in the, in those kind of bullet points of what you did. That's so right. I tell students to use that way of thinking when talking about, when filling out that description section. So I don't need bullet points, but you can forego full sentences to get to the action. Use semicolons to separate your accomplishments or the different uh, roles that you had. I'm okay with that. Um, where your grammar and your sentence structure needs to be on point is in your personal statement. Um, this is give me give me the the quick info that I need to know, the nuts and bolts of of what you did. Yeah, and then take a step back and look at the whole thing. I think it can sometimes be interesting. You might look at one particular entry and say, that looks great. But then you look at three entries and you see, I've used the verb participated to start every single one of these entries or researched over and over. Can I come up with some different words so that this feels like a whole 
um, project that somebody is reading from start to finish and they're getting new information about me all the way through. Um, the other thing, I had a student that I worked with a few years ago, and I remember he had done a lot, a lot of really interesting stuff, research stuff, independent projects, um, building things in his, in his garage, some really cool stuff. But he wanted to shove a lot of that content into the tiny space that was allotted. And so he used a ton of abbreviations and it made it feel in that first draft like it was really rough. Um, like there just wasn't any accessibility. It was hard to download all of that information as a reader. And so we talked about ways that you could actually change that so that there's a little bit more room. Uh, you might lose some of the details, but on the whole, the total project is going to be a little bit stronger as a result. Um, Joy, when should students, uh, just as we're, we're signing off here, um, when should students start to think about getting their activities together? Is there any recommendation for younger students here? And then when's the time to start drafting an actual activities list uh, for the application itself? I suggest that in your freshman year, start that spreadsheet. I know it may seem way too early, but when you're thinking about how many hours you've spent on an activity, um, what time of the year, if you wait until September of your senior year, you're gonna say, what was my role in ninth grade when I first got involved with Key Club? Um, and if you keep, if you start it early, then you can keep adding to that description. So when you do start to actually um, pull together your activities list, I would say now is a great time to start juniors in the spring into the summer. You can start working on your kind of narrowing down those activities or um, to the top 10. If you've got more than 10, you can start um, massaging your language to get it into that concise description. So I think start early um, to start collecting that information and then spring of junior year, start getting it ready. Yeah. I'm sort of reminded of, uh, you know, having to do an annual performance review and, and sitting there and trying to remember, okay, what did I do this last year? And I'll be like, okay, well, I hosted the radio show and I answered some emails. And, like you think about what you did most recently, but if you're right. tracking that over the course of the year, it's like, oh yeah, I remember when I did that way back a year ago. And that's and just a year. See, you can see your own growth over, yeah over your high school career and then maybe what what characteristics or traits are you demonstrating in the growth of as seen in through your activity section of your application i think that's right and you can point to some really great other uh, opportunities that connect outside of that including connection to scholarships and we're going to talk in a moment about scholarships and how those can connect to a student's extracurricular profile how they can search for those Joy, I want to thank you for coming on and bearing with me with the screen share. I hope that that was fun for our viewers. Always um, a pleasure, Ian. Always a pleasure. Thanks a lot for being here. Uh, folks, when we come back, we're going to talk about scholarships that don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. 
but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, folks. Welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. Um, Now, Earlier in the show, I fumbled our Facebook URL. I want to make sure I get that right because we've got some great visual components to our uh, show this week. So you can go to facebook.com slash college coach. That's it. Find your way over there. We're going to post these videos uh, for you to see what we look like uh, and also to do the screen share that we just did with Joy in the last segment to talk a little bit about the activities list and the common app. Now here for the final segment, we're going to talk about scholarship searches. Um, And this is... Enormous. Like, I I think one of the things that my finance colleagues uh, always sort of relate to me is that you could spend a lifetime searching for scholarships if you really wanted to, but you only have a very narrow window of time in which to do it. And so, joining me to help us learn how to search for all the scholarships in all the world in the 13 minutes we have today is Alex Gonzalez. Hey, Alex. Hey, how's it going? All right, tall order. I think we can do it, though. Um, Now, I want, go ahead. Yeah, I think we can. I think we can. I think we can narrow down some strategies and send us on our way, right? Perfect. Great. So let's start with what Joy and I were just talking about was the process of sort of gathering your extracurricular activities all the way through your high school career so that you can see where you are making a difference and potentially connect to some scholarships. And and so I wanted to ask you about the role of a student's extracurricular experience in that scholarship search and how a student might be able to say, oh yeah, I spent a couple of years in DECA how do I find a scholarship that's relevant? Or I spent some time uh, doing this community service project for the wetlands. Is there a scholarship that's connected to, you know, environmental advocacy? What's the role that activities will play in the process? Yeah, I, I think that the role that activities play in 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 searching for scholarships. They, well, they have two roles. One, searching, helping a yeah. student and families narrow down kind of what are those key words that. Um, to get started, right? You hear about all those different scholarships. There's websites that kind of have lists of scholarships that are out there. And so 
um, an activities resume can really kind of narrow down and provide you with some keywords, thinking about membership, um, your local community, you know, connections, your cultural community connections, those types of things definitely helps you with those, those local scholarships. And then might mm -hmm. feed into maybe some regional, maybe some national as you get, you know, farther, as you expand your list. Uh, the second part though, that an activities resume is, is once you find those scholarships yeah. that this is kind of the differentiator between, you know, applicant A and applicant B. Um, this is where you kind of get to stand out and it can add to your essay, your resume. Mm -hmm. uh, it can demonstrate leadership. It can demonstrate your connections to the community. Uh, your drive grit to a certain yeah. extent. Like these are the things that once you've met the kind of the minimum requirements um, that review committees really look at to to make their decisions. Um, I was on three uh, scholarship committees this last season. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, and you know what? We don't, we have administrator folks that kind of, uh, give us the applicant pool and we're making the decisions really based on the activities and the essays. Those are kind of the, the where the student really has the agency and the ability to connect with those reviewers. So, yeah. And it, uh, it comes back to that idea of authenticity that we talk about with the application. I think that that extends yeah. to the scholarship space as well. If you're choosing activities that you enjoy and then using those to drive your scholarship search, well, then when you finally submit those scholarship applications, you've got an authentic experience that you can pull on. You can talk about what it felt like to be doing the work that you were doing, how you made an impact in your community. And for a reviewer like you who's in, involved in, in choosing who wins those scholarships, that's huge, right? To be able to say, this is a great, this is a great match. This is a great fit for the scholarship's goals and the ways that we want to support students in our community. Um, ultimately those dollars are there. Like you're charged on when you're sitting on that review seat is like, you're charged with, you know, will this student be successful? How are they going to impact mm -hmm. um, our organization? So predicting impact is all about what you've already done and what that says about what you might do in the future. And that's, that's true in the application process. And it's great to hear that that's corroborated in the scholarship process because you can essentially kill two birds with one stone, maximizing scholarships and your admission chances by really focusing on the stuff you care about. Now, Alex, let's take a step back and think about the strategic approach to applying for scholarships, because again, there's so much out there. So how do we think about family comes to you and they say, we would love some outside scholarships for college. We hear it is quite expensive and we want some support in paying for college. What do we do? So how do you, how do you simplify that request given the enormity of that task? Yeah. Yeah. So, so think about it in two processes, right? One, exploring. So exploring and organizing um, where you can maximize your search. Um, I typically remind families and students that I'm working with is that they, when it comes to outside scholarships, uh, these are the dessert to the financial aid meal. The colleges are going to do the heavy lifting. And so now what we're looking at is we're looking at kind of those supplementary pieces to the financial aid a package or how we're paying for college. And so setting a reasonable goal of three to five scholarships 
mm-hmm. where you can meet and exceed the expectations, but also really dive into what we were talking about as kind of the crux of the application of the activities um, resume and the essay that you're spending that quality time there mm-hmm. um, to really connect to the reader um, and reviewer. So having the setting those goals really helps kind of make it less overwhelming because you you can get lost in exploring, but ultimately you do need to apply. Yeah. Um, and applying can be a little bit kind of overwhelming as well because there's not a uniformed deadline for these scholarships. They could be in the fall, they could be in the winter, and they could be in the spring. So do know that they're out there, but doing some organization and legwork um, kind of right before you start that process um, can be really helpful. Now, when you say that the goal could be around three to five, is the goal there to apply to three to five scholarships or is the goal to earn three to five scholarships? And how do we think about the relationship between how many scholarships do I, I might apply for and the number of scholarships I might qualify for? And why not, why not set goals that are connected to a dollar amount, right? To say like, okay, I'd like to have $2,000 in scholarship money. And whether that takes me 10 scholarships or one scholarship, that's my goal. Like how... I, this is totally foreign to me. Like, I, I, how did people think about that aspect of it? Yeah, I like to think about it as where do you, where are you putting yourself into the opportunities? So three to five scholarships that you are applying to mm-hmm. that you would be a candidate for. Okay. Um, you, the, we won't be able to really predict what kind of a dollar amount or your goal is. So um, because... We don't know what the applicant pool looks like. We don't know um, how your application is going to proceed. You want to take a step back and say, where do I have the most impact? Mm-hmm. The most impact is choosing the scholarships that fit you. Um, the impact is impacting the application itself. And then from there, um, the dollars will kind of come in. Again, financial aid meal, right? We're thinking about this is the dessert. We don't want to... F- we're not expecting dessert to be all four courses or change every, you know, change the whole dynamic of the meal there, you know, and so, um, and oftentimes just to be aware that some of these scholarships can be renewable. Um, some of the scholarships are one-time things, yeah, uh, one-time awards. So, so, you know, when we're looking at our full budget of paying for college, um, these are helpful. They can fill in gaps. Um, I, I worked with a student this last uh, year, and um, she had some great scholarships that came from the colleges, and um, she actually didn't apply to some of the smaller scholarships that were local, the $1,000, the $2,000, because she was thinking, they're not going to make an impact. You know, when I'm looking at the full college budget, I'm they're just not, you know, I, I'm my plan would just go to community college. Well, we reviewed her award. We checked back in and we reviewed her awards come spring. And the gaps were the $2,000, the $1,000, the $5,000. Now she had some work study or she had planned to, you know, she had some savings that she had. Um, And so we could supplement that. But though she was a great candidate for some of these local scholarships where, she might not have had to work. She might not have to borrow. Um, and, and so. Every little bit helps. I mean, I think. It's a funny process. Yeah. It's like you're, you're creating the opportunities 
to kind of review the opportunities later, you know. And I think this gets people a lot. I mean, I can think about, you know, in the process of buying a home or any big purchase, you might say, well, what's another thousand dollars on top of it? But like, really, it's a thousand dollars, thousand dollars, whether it's a big purchase or a small purchase. And whether you're paying $50,000 a year for college, having an extra thousand dollars that you don't have to send towards that is helpful in some regard. And so you've got to both, I think, dispense the myth that says, um, you're going to get a huge, you know, full ride tuition scholarship from a private scholarship. That's just not a realistic expectation for students to have. But also the idea that getting $500 here or $1,000 there isn't worthwhile, I think is, is similarly problematic because 500 bucks, that's books for a semester. 1,000 bucks, that's books for the year. Like you can do a lot of good work with the money that comes your way. It sounds like part of the reason that you are suggesting that students limit their search has to do with just making sure that they've got the best application that they have and managing that time as well. So it's making fit and then being sure that you can put a good application forward. Um, If you apply for 20 scholarships, you're going to put out flimsy scholarship applications to those programs and are likely to have less success than you would have otherwise. Yeah, setting that reasonable goal, it's it's a win. Right, you're gonna find you. You're going to find three to five in your local area or regional scholarships. You know, I'm not saying don't apply for 13, but that's not your goal. That's not the goal. Fair you're enough. Not, and, yeah, you get five, and you can add a couple more later. Let me ask you one quick question because we're running out of time here, but I think that this is an important one. A lot of people think that if you win an outside scholarship, that that might eat into the award that you might get directly from your college. College says, we'll give you $10,000. You say to them, well, I've already got $1,000 here. They say, okay, well, that's great. We only need to give you nine. And you bring that $1,000 elsewhere. What's the, what's the policy there that colleges have with respect to these private scholarships? Yeah. So be- best practices, those outside scholarships are typically going to take care of loans first okay. and then... Uh, maybe some work study or need, some need types uh, of scholarships uh, or need grants. However, it's a good problem to have. Right. So, you know, if you're saying I'm not going to do like, that's the rumor that I heard, I'm not going to apply, you're doing yourself a disservice because all five scholarships you'd have to win, they'd have to be some larger dollars that financial aid package would have to be kind of mostly scholarships for it really to affect that. Um, I've sat on scholarship uh, management committees. So like where we handed out dollars, um, there are strategies out there to kind of minimize that impact. Um, We delayed scholarships um, or kind of deferred scholarships. Um, So, you know, the student might've received a lot of scholarships in their first year um, and we were able to defer it to the second year, like use it later down the line. That's good. Um, and so there are things that you can work with your once you receive that scholarship that you might be able to work with your um, um, that scholarship committee to kind of minimize that impact on a financial aid. So there's always a, a way to to problem solve here and to make sure that students get what they've earned when it comes to paying for college. Oh, definitely, definitely, Great. and then and. Even working on the financial aid side, um, helping students kind of navigate that process as well. Sweet. Can, um, it is definitely a conversation to have. Great. Thanks a lot, Alex. Uh, we covered a ton here. Uh, feels like we're, you know, we rushed a little bit. So uh, I want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing that wisdom with our, with our listeners. Yeah, no, no. 
Uh, that does it for this week, everyone. Uh, next week, we are diving into mental health. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, we've got a college health guide book discussion with authors Jill and Dave Henry. Beth's going to be leading us through that conversation. And then we'll also talk about the correlation of healthy finances and mental health. So some relationship there as well. Um, in the meantime, we hope that you enjoy this week and we'll look forward to seeing you here and every week at Thursday on Getting In a College Coach Conversation. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.